Going, going Linux episode 332, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email at goinglinks at gmail.com or our voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry. How are things going for you? I broke my cell phone. No! Yes! <laughs> now, how did you do that? Did you drop it from a third story window or how did it break no i kind of accidentally left it on top of the car and drove down the highway at 75 miles an hour and it hit the asphalt and kind of broke Uh, uh, sounds like you doubled back and found it you realized that you had left it there google find my iphone because it's on the side of the road all busted up so Uh. After much going back and forth and stuff, I finally got a new cell phone. I bought a Google Pixel XL. I like it a lot. Um, I actually like it better than the other one, um, but it was an expensive mistake. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm a. I'm. I'm glad you found it. B. I'm. Glad you've got something to replace it. And I've heard some very good things about the Google Pixel, and not just from you. So, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about that phone. Well, you forgot D. I'm glad it didn't happen to you. Mm, Yeah, well, I'm glad it didn't happen to me. But, uh, yeah. Uh, So you like the Google Pixel, huh? I do like the Google Pixel. It's uh, nice because it doesn't have all that added uh, blueware, junkware, adware that comes on some phones. Samsung big uh, has that stupid Bixby that I don't white like, don't want to use. And Samsung's just the phone you just damaged, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so uh, I don't have to deal with that anymore, which makes me very, very happy. Yeah. So anyway, um, other than that, um. Things are going good, so I say let's get into our for first email. Okay, that sounds good. Well, since I suggested, I guess I get the first one. Our yep. first email is from Scott, who has a comment related to our last episode on whole disk cloning software. I'll add one more uh, to the list. Departed. I recently took an old 2 terabyte drive in a USB enclosure and copied it to a blank 3 terabyte drive. It was right-click, copy, right-click, paste. Pretty awesome. Not nearly as many f- uh, features as Clonezilla, which is awesome, but I had it sitting there on my Zubuntu 17.04 system, and it worked. 
I had great luck with Clonezilla in the past making whole disk backups, as well as migrating friends and family to newer hard drives. Great show, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Wow. Uh, I had no idea that Gparted, the, the program that I've used forever to create new partitions, had this copy-paste-the-whole-disk feature. I'm going to have to try that out. <laughs> My kind of uh, software, right-click, paste, done. Oh, way to go. Uh, yeah, that's great. Copy and paste a whole hard drive. I'm sure it takes a few minutes to paste, but wow. Uh, I didn't know me. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> make some coffee. Uh, that's about as simple as it gets. Um, yeah, I, I've used Gparted for quite a long time, and I know that... It's not installed by default on every distribution out there. It's one of the first things that I install when I upgrade or when I install a new computer with a Linux distribution is Gparted. And I didn't even know it had this feature. That's great. Thanks, Scott. Okay, uh, Michael wrote, Hi, Larry and Bill. It's Michael from Meltham in Homefirth, in the UK, possibly being famous as the area where Last of the Summer Wine was filmed, or so I believe, I have been told, and maybe it's been mentioned in KR Talking News, the talking newspaper for Kirkless, which is my local authority. For those perhaps who don't live in the UK, Last of the Summer Wine is a TV comedy. Okay, and I'm not sure that we get that here in the United States, not even on BBC America. But eventually, I'm sure we'll see it. <laughs> anyway, uh, he continues, I am still interested in Linux and still wish to use it, except for two main obstacles holding me back from going Linux completely. Those being, one, the obvious problem of activating the correct key sequence for my HP laptop, which will boot me into a live CD without some cited assistance, and two, my family not being Linux users, and possibly their, quote, just use Windows attitude. But as I have heard someone say in the UK, perhaps a talk show host, different strokes for different folks. This means I am possibly sitting on the sidelines watching Linux developments, so to speak, until I can run a Linux distro with the Orca screen reader. From my observations, Sonar seems to be going through issues and changes with Kendall Clark resigning from working on Sonar due to flack he was getting, which I know you are aware of from the interview you did with him on Going Linux, and it changed to another Arch-based distro and Turgos. The link to download Vinix seems not to exist on the Vinix website. As regards accessible distros, as far as I know, that just leaves Debian, which is not for basic users, Arch, which is certainly not for basic users, Fedora, which I did try a while ago when it was at version 21 or 22 possibly, and it was over my head as to obtaining certain software that I might need, like VLC Player and Ubuntu. I know at one time there was a talking installer at OpenSUSE, but I don't know if that still exists. And you have also advised people who are learning Linux that it is not an easy distro 
to use. I can't speak to other distros such as Linux Mint, but like I mentioned a while ago, you had read that Mint 17.3, I think, included Orca for the Mate version at least. It was suggested by someone that I perhaps use Ubuntu Mate 16.04, as they told me the keystrokes to bring up Orca still work, even though I saw an email Luke sent to the Orca list, maybe stating that he had resigned from their accessibility team, which is why I'm still uncertain as to which distro to use these days. I have reached out to people on both the Orca mailing list and the Sonar mailing list, trying to find a distro which is not too much over my head. I was told that to install the latest sonar, it would require an internet connection, which would be impossible if I have to go to a phone shop, which also sells older computer equipment, as well as mobile phone accessories, and try and get one of the people who runs it to boot a live Linux CD, as I wouldn't have my internet connection there to be able to connect to the internet for installation of our Antergos-built sonar. I went to the Ubuntu Mate site to try to download a live CD for the latest Ubuntu Mate LTS, but for some reason I could only find the torrent file and ISO file for the AMD version and not the Intel version. If I were to try Ubuntu Mate, where is the direct link to the 64-bit Intel version? If I was certain I could get it going without having to need an internet connection just to download Orca, I wouldn't rule out running Linux Mint, the latest version, assuming Clem's people haven't removed Orca, believing that nobody will use it. I really do appreciate you and Bill bringing Linux accessibility to people's attention. However, perhaps one suggestion I could make is that perhaps if you refer to the Orca screen reader, perhaps you could actually try running any possible distros you could be using with Orca and enable as possibly it would give those of us who are totally blind the opportunity to know which distros are accessible. Perhaps you could discuss accessibility with a wide choice of Linux distros available due to people who are totally blind like myself, possibly having to jump through extra hoops to get Linux distros running. Hope you can advise me and keep up the good work on the podcast. Michael. So, Michael, you've got quite a few questions in here, and I am going to make some comments that others might find a little controversial, perhaps. Um, I know that, uh, when I was helping out the sonar project, I was pretty heavily recommending that as the preferred distribution for, uh, people who are blind and visually impaired. I can't recommend it anymore because Michael of the very issues that you have highlighted in your email, it's changed to a different version of Linux, a different flavor of Linux as its base. And I'm not sure it's getting the same sort of attention that it was getting when, uh, you know, when Jonathan and Kendall were uh, heading it up, it has kind of languished out there. So uh, it still has some good features, but it's not being kept up. Let's just put it that way. And Vinix, I don't know what's up with the Vinix website, but it should have a link to the download. And if they don't have an accessible link to the download, uh, shame on them. 
You mentioned that for Ubuntu Mate, you can only find the AMD 64 and not the Intel 64. Uh, somewhere on the page, it mentions that the version that's labeled AMD is not just for AMD. It's for any 64-bit computer, and it's for AMD and Intel processors. So that is the correct download. Uh, and that's something I think that uh, is a little misleading, is that the version of 64-bit ISOs is always listed as AMD for some reason on most websites. And it's really the same one for Intel. And you have to kind of read further to get that. It's not labeled right there on the download. So use that one. And I've been doing some additional research on Ubuntu Mate. As you know, we've got uh, a book out on Ubuntu Mate that's an introduction with information on how to install it. Uh, I'm also planning on releasing another book that goes into a lot more detail about Ubuntu Mate, including how to get things up and running when you are not cited. And so here's a little couple of paragraphs that I've written so far on enabling Orca, which is the screen reader, and enabling Onboard, which is the onboard keyboard at startup. When Ubuntu Mate is first installed as your computer's operating system, it is pre-configured so that both Orca, the screen reader, and Onboard, the on-screen keyboard, are already installed and running in the background. All you need to do to use them is press the keyboard shortcut Alt-Super-S to get Orca running, and Alt-Super-K to get Onboard running, you use the same shortcut to turn each of them off again. If you want to use these features at the login screen before Ubuntu Mate even starts, the accessibility icon is in the upper right corner of the screen and it lets you toggle those on and off with your mouse, but you can also use Orca's keyboard shortcut Alt-Super-S to enable the screen reader to assist in the login process. Now, at this point, I haven't tested it to see if it's available during the boot up at installation time, but I believe it is. And part of the reason Ubuntu Mate and even Mint Mate, which I haven't tested recently, have had the um, Orca screen reader work so well is because the Accessibility settings on the old GNOME 2, which Mate, the desktop environment, is a fork of, was pretty much perfected. It worked very, very well. And now that Mate uh, is the replacement for, almost a direct replacement for GNOME 2, it has taken a lot of those same accessibility features and simply enabled them in Mate. Now, Mate is not GNOME 2. It's a fork of GNOME 2, so it has the same roots, the same original software code that it started from, but it uh, has carried accessibility forward. So I would recommend any distribution that's using the Mate desktop as uh, one that's probably going to be most accessible because that accessibility is built into Mate. 
But I have to say that Ubuntu Mate has done a phenomenal job of making the operating system accessible even before you're actually running the full operating system. At the boot screen, when you have Ubuntu Mate installed, you can use Alt Super S right there from the boot screen as you're logging in and the Orca screen reader begins working. And if they've enabled it, as I suspect, during the installation, you should be able to do the same thing or perhaps issue a, a specific command to get it working during the installation process. Uh, so bottom line, Michael, uh, my recommendation today is Ubuntu Mate as the distribution that best supports accessibility overall. Uh, it doesn't have as many of the accessibilities features like eye and head tracking software and those kinds of things enabled by default um, like Sonar did. But at the very least, it has Orca enabled by default, and it has the on-screen keyboard called Onboard enabled by default. And each works at the click of a few keys. And back to that super key, if you've purchased a computer with Linux pre-installed, it might have a Tux logo on it, the little penguin, or it might have an Ubuntu logo on it. And I know for blind people, this isn't very helpful, but uh, uh, let me at least describe it from a visual perspective. It is also, if you've purchased a computer that was designed for Windows and it has a Windows-based keyboard on it, the super key is the Windows key the one with the Windows logo on it. And if you've got Linux installed on a an Apple computer, then the Apple keyboard super key is the one that's the command key. That's the one with the little curly cloverleaf thing looking key. So that's the super key. So Alt Super S to enable Orca, Alt Super K to enable the on-screen keyboard. Uh, and... You're all set. You're up and running, uh, even at the boot, the login screen. So for our longest email in a long time, Michael, you win the prize. <laughs> and uh, for the longest response in a long time, I guess I win the prize. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> well, just uh, another quick thing. If uh, Since you can't see the keyboard, if you can find the space bar. It's used and used by by feel. It's you'll it's the uh, second key to the left uh, from the space bar. Where the yeah. super key is. Yeah, from the space bar because it's all and then the super key. So if you're doing it by feel, just remember it's the second key, key to the left, and that should be the key that you need to press. And then um, S is almost directly above it um uh, yeah. there's an, there's zx and then there's the s right there so that's that might help a little bit uh, the k would be a little harder to find but the s should be pretty quick easy and all in the super key so maybe yeah. i'll help you a little bit yeah and i don't know whether michael's using a uh a braille keyboard or, you know, whether he's touch typing on a regular laptop keyboard, but uh, hopefully those directions will help. Good. Yep. Okay. Well, I hope best of luck. Uh, I, we really need to, as a Linux community, really work on this accessibility. So anyway, 
Our next email is from Greg, and he wrote, Hi, Larry. A few months ago, I wrote saying that I had a good experiences with password safe for Windows running in Wine. I'm happy to find that there is a Linux beta version. Link is in the show notes of password safe in the Debian, Ubuntu, and Linux Mint repositories. Password safe dash common is how it's listed in the Synaptic Package Manager. It works well, and I switched over to it uh, on my Linux Mint Cinnamon, Linux Mint Mate, and Brunson Labs Linux machines. And anybody who doesn't know what Brunson Labs is, it's the fork of Crunchbang. Mm-hmm. Okay. I keep the encrypted database for it on Dropbox, which I also have on all the machines. So whenever I update or add an entry on one machine, it automatically updated on all the others. Very handy. Regards, Greg, W-A-F-J-K. Okay. Good information, Greg. And I'm sure that's going to be helpful to somebody who's using Password Safe or who's looking for a password keeper that's Linux compatible. That's great. Our next email is from Mike, who wrote, Good morning. Uh, I have a... How did he know we record in the morning? I don't know. Anyway, good morning. I have a question on backing up the home directory. I cannot find the answer online, nor from asking around. I run Ubuntu Mate with encrypted home directories on a desktop with several users, all family members. My first step in this project was to create a cold storage solution, an external hard drive that I stick in a hard drive dock every other week and run an rsync command. This process syncs the home directory from the desktop to the external hard drive. That's basically what I do as well, Mike. That's uh, Except I don't have the fancy external hard drive in a dock thing. I just plug it in with a USB cable. Anyway, continuing with Mike's email. When I plugged the external hard drive into my laptop, Ubuntu Mate, using the hard drive dock, I was unable to access the files because they were encrypted. During the install of Ubuntu Mate on the desktop, I wrote down the encryption key. I realized the encryption key is needed to decrypt the home directory on the external hard drive. As I created more users, I was able to obtain their their encryption key as well. If I ever, I hope not, need to recover the home directory after doing a fresh install, how do I successfully access and copy the files over to the new install on the desktop computer for all users? I would imagine I would somehow replace the encryption key that was generated with a fresh install with an old key. The concern is I do not ever want to be in a situation where I need to recover the home directory from a backup and not be able to access them. To the end user the family, I need to be able to replace their files almost seemingly seamless. I hope this all makes sense. Thanks for your time. Uh, Mike, W-A-2-H-K-A. Okay, so uh, encrypted backups versus unencrypted backups. First of all, when I do my backups, I do not use the encryption in the backup utility that's provided with Ubuntu Mate. Uh, for the very reason that you have concerns, Mike. That is, what if somehow I don't remember or haven't recorded the encryption key 
how do I get that back? Well, it will be absolutely impossible if you don't have that encryption key. Uh, with that, I haven't tried restoring from an encrypted drive, but uh, I know that if you're restoring files onto the original computer they were backed up from, you can open the encrypted backups from that same computer, of course, because you have the encryption key. My anticipation is, and this is something that I'm not sure, and perhaps our listeners can chime in on this if they use the uh, encryption in the Deja Dupe, which is what uh, Ubuntu Mate uses as its backup utility. Uh, if you've used Deja Dupe to store encrypted backups, how do you take those backups and use the encryption key that you've recorded, copied and pasted to a document, perhaps an unencrypted document, by the way, <laughs> remember to do it that way. Um, and how do you use that encryption key to restore them? Is there a place to enter that as you try to access your encrypted backup? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and I haven't dug through the documentation to find out. Uh, perhaps that's something we can do uh, for you, Mike. And in the meantime, with Deja Dupe running, I'm sure that F1 will get you to the help screen. If not, there should be a help button in the menu somewhere or help selection in the menu somewhere. Try that and look through the documentation on how to do that. Anyway, if someone has uh, done this, uh, please let us know and we'll relay that information on to Mike on the show. And like I said, that's one of the reasons why I don't use encryption in the backup is that you need to know how to unencrypt it. And if you've lost the key, you've lost your backup. And I don't see that as very safe. Uh, I would rather take that hard drive and put it under lock and key if you're worried about someone accessing the hard drive. And if it's simply a matter that encryption is there, why not use it? I'm of the other school of thought, which is if the encryption is there and I don't need it, why use it? Because it's only one more barrier to getting my files back. Um, what do you think, Bill? Have you used encrypted backups at all? I've never used encrypted backups. When I make them, I just, they're unencrypted and uh, I don't have anything <laughs> that anybody cares about anyway. So yeah, yeah I kind of on your side on this that I'd rather have it on the that I can use it and not because and, I'm bad about losing things. So uh, right. don't encrypt <laughs> until you're absolutely certain. That'd be horrible. As long as you have the encryption key, restoring the files is simply a matter of copying them from the backup location to the uh, to the desired location. You know, once you've inserted the key, they're no longer encrypted and they're just open files. Uh, and so copying and pasting is going to work just fine to restore them. But if you've lost the encryption key, you've lost your backup. That's, that's something that, uh, yeah, uh, is way too easy to screw up, uh, in my, in my personal opinion. Uh, well, let's put it this way. It's way too easy for me to screw up. <laughs> so, so I don't use that for the backups, mainly because the location of my backups is secure and I'm relying on that security, not the encryption. So I think that's our recommendation. Yep. Don't encrypt it. <laughs> All right. Our next email comes from Tom in Albuquerque. Hey, my neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. First, thank you for all the invaluable help and encouragement I received in the last couple months via the Going Linux podcast website. 
Second, help. <laughs> My very busy and tech-adverse wife is has just got back from a trip of a lifetime in Africa. She has a camera, phone, and tablet maxed out with photographs and a couple of videos. Oh, man. No pressure there. Mm. <laughs> Naturally... She wants to make DVDs containing nicely presented musical slideshows to give to friends and family. I'm pretty new to Linux. At present, I've waited uh, about 15 or 20% into William Scott's The Linux Command Line. I'm running Linux, Mint Cinnamon on a newish HP notebook AMD laptop with 12 gigabytes of RAM. During said occasion of my wife's absence, I installed a whole no Ubuntu Mate on my wife's newish HC Pavilion Intel laptop with 12 gigabytes of RAM. With her permission, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're hoping. Or you're in trouble, dude. Mm -hmm. uh, both of these machines dual boot with the other operating system. I've installed DVD slideshow on my wife's computer, but have yet to learn my way around. Frankly, with all the other Linux things I'm trying to learn, this project seems likely to be quite a chore. What might the wise personages of the Going Linux suggest to me as being among the least painful and most efficient alternatives for accomplishing our goals? This, hopefully, without forking over cash or using the other operating system. We are definitely computer users who want to use Linux to get things done. Tom and Albuquerque. Well, the first thing, if you didn't have her permission to put it on her computer, buy some flowers and take her to dinner. <laughs> yes, yes. Second is to make sure that you have backups of everything, because if you lose a picture or a video, you're toast. Yep. And uh, other than that, I don't do video slideshows, but I think Larry's done some, so I'm going to let him uh, f chime in on this. And uh, Tom, uh, <laughs> please tell me you had her permission. Oh. <laughs> please. Yeah, yeah. Wise advice from Bill there, Tom. Those, those things are the first things to do. And I did send Tom an email with some advice on creating slideshows from the DVDs. It sounds like this DVD slideshow application is pretty good. Uh, if you're struggling with learning it, perhaps it's a little more flexible and more complex than you need. And so I have a suggestion on a program that's available in the Linux repositories, the Ubuntu repositories, of course, you're using Linux Mint that's based on Ubuntu, so you should be able to find it in the repositories pretty easily. It's a program called Imagination. And it is a relatively simple program that allows you to do the very thing that you're trying to do, which is to take those videos, those uh, pictures, and make slideshows and burn them onto a DVD so that you can make copies and send them around to all your friends so they can watch your exciting adventures or your wife's exciting adventures in Africa. And we'll have a link to the tutorial for imagination in our show notes. And that should be able to help you out in learning how to use it. It's a video tutorial on YouTube. Here's the description for the imagination package. 
It's a lightweight and user-friendly DVD slideshow maker with a clean interface and few dependencies. Those are all good things. It only requires the FFmpeg encoder, which is usually installed by default, quite frankly, uh, or you can get it as some of those uh, additional extra codecs that many Linux distributions offer to install for you. But on Linux Mint, I think they're installed by default. Uh, and with that, you can produce a movie to be burned with another application, like the DVD burning program that comes uh, pre-installed on Linux Mint or whatever your Linux distribution is. Most of them will come with some sort of DVD burning application, whether that's K3B or whether that is Bracero or something similar. The description also goes on to say, Imagination has the following features. Easy to operate. It can make a slideshow from photos selected by the user. It supports a number of video formats, including 3GP for mobile phones. Hmm, interesting. Supports screen resolutions from 128 by 96, which I'm guessing is a small phone uh, resolution, to 1920 by 1080. That's full 1080i or 1080p when you're exporting the videos. A background audio can be music, such as MP3 files or other audio files. It will auto-resize for images as an option. Uh, it allows the user to select a background color. It has over 50 slide transitions, and it has over 50 transition effects, and a zoom effect with uh, duration time, and allows users to add explanatory text like subtitles. Imagination can be used to make presentations to be shown by a projector or by a smart TV. And that sounds like a great easy-to-use program, and especially when it comes with a YouTube video that uh, describes how to use it. So there you go. What do you think, Bill? Think that it should be able to help, Tom? Yeah, I think that uh, should work. Uh, 50 transitions, huh? Wow. Yeah, that should work just fine. <laughs> I hope so. If that's not enough, maybe your uh, complex uh, software program is the best way to go. <laughs> but uh, I think simple is what you're looking for. So there you go. Just hope he's not in a doghouse. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I get it. And wise advice, Bill, as always. <laughs> I wouldn't go about that far, but yeah. Okay. Oof. Our uh, next email is from John, who wrote, Hello, Larry. For GNU Linux maintenance, I would add BleachBit, especially if you use the Chromium or Chrome browsers. Also running sudo apt auto-remove from time to time. Is this an Ubuntu and derivatives thing? Perhaps a Debian and derivatives thing? Um, yeah, sudo apt is definitely something that's in the... Uh, the, the Debian way of doing things, and there may be some other ways to do that uh, with other distributions. Continuing on, John wrote, perhaps you have reasons for not mentioning BleachBit. If so, it would be interesting to hear them. Thanks again for informative, easy listening podcast, John. Well, and of course, John's email is a response to the mention of maintenance of your uh, Linux computer. And I mentioned that on a listener feedback episode uh, that you really don't have the same level of maintenance required for Linux as you do for Windows. And I didn't mention BleachBit mainly because it didn't come to mind. 
And it is definitely something that uh, works cross-platform and can be used. It's infamously used by a uh, former presidential candidate here in the United States for removing uh, and, and, and cleaning emails off of a server. Uh, yeah, you, you may have heard something about that uh, in the past. But uh, Bleach, but yeah, it, it works fine. I don't use it, so I didn't think about it. But it's an option. Yep. I didn't even think about it either. All right. <laughs> yep. So our next email comes from Paul, who's in North Texas. He writes, Hi, Larry. Great show today. I'm learning more and more about using Linux by listening to the show. I have a couple of quick questions, if possible. What was the alternative software to Skype that you and Bill are using now? I'm sorry, but I had trouble understanding exactly what name was used? Some of, the, of these software names make no sense standing alone anyway. <laughs> uh, it's called um, Discord. Discord. Yeah, D-I-S-C-O-R-D, Discord. Yeah, and it's working really nice, right? It is. It's worked, it's worked flawlessly for two shows, and usually we were, have to battle Skype with all kinds of issues. So we're quite enjoying Discord, so give it a look. And the second question he writes is, what is the code Linux users can type to restart a machine short of pressing the start until the power shuts off? I remember you talking about that string of characters, and I used it for a while, and I've tried to find it again, Google, but I can't seem to find it anymore. Thanks again for all your great support for the Linux community. Paul in North Texas. Okay, so that key command which forces your computer to shut down or restart is a um, set of key combinations that has worked very well for me. Uh, sometimes the computer is so hard locked up that it doesn't work, but uh, if, if it works for you, great. It, it's a key com combination that can be used when the graphical commands don't work, or if you can't get to an alternative terminal to uh, type in, you know, uh, reboot or any of those other commands that helps you from the command line. Uh, if your computer will accept it, you need to find the system request key on your keyboard because that's one of the keys you're going to press. And if your keyboard doesn't have one labeled system request or sysrec or something like that, S-Y-S-R-E-Q, then this isn't going to work for you. However, um, I believe, and this is off of memory, so if you want to search, Google search for the letters R-E-I-S-U-B, uh, and this is the key combination, as I recall it. Um, control, Alt, Shift, system request and while you hold all those down very slowly type r e i s u b and that each of those letters that you're pressing with system request and those other keys pressed is sending a command directly to the linux subsystem your computer's subsystem so that it is going to reboot or shut down and it bypasses a lot of other stuff like the graphical user interface and like other user interface options, whether it's uh, terminal or not. 
Uh, and that's why it works even if your computer is locked up. But like I said, sometimes computers get so completely locked that even that doesn't work. So for your Google um, search, type R-E-S-U-B space Linux and search for that. And you should find some articles on how to completely reboot your computer when it's seriously locked up. So uh, our next email, and this is our last email before our gone Linux story, is from Craig. He said, I can't seem to find much on this, but my A10 8700P is a dual GPU solution. As of present, I am not sure that Linux is using both GPUs. Potentially, it's just using the Radeon R6. That's the 2D solution. It has a Radeon R7 for gaming. I have read many posts and have attempted to set my Radeon R7 as the primary GPU as Linux does see it. However, this really mucks up things on the display when I try it. Always just wondering if you have heard anything about this and whether any Linux kernel at present supports this configuration. As from my previous email, I am running Ubuntu Mate 16.04. Well, as the gamer Bill and as the person who is most likely to have run across this, any suggestions for Craig? Um, I don't know. I've heard that there's been problems with the Linux and these uh, the these AMD um, um, A10 chips. They uh, they're like a hybrid chip. They have everything built on, and I hear that they're kind of uh, quirky. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, other than that, I don't know. Maybe one of our listeners knows more. Um, my computer doesn't use that chip, and um, I've never used it, but I've heard that people do have issues with uh, those hybrid chips, and they're usually put in to, um, um, not saying his, uh, like the budget laptops, they're put into those, uh, so... I don't know uh, where he got it, but uh, I think it's probably just going. He's going to have to, just, you know, uh, see if there's a solution out there, or he's going to, have to live with it. Because people have, uh, I've heard that these these hybrid chips are kind of, you know, wacky. Yeah, and support for these kinds of chips is is continuously being worked on. Uh, however, you know, and I'm no. GPU or processor expert by any stretch. Uh, but as new drivers are developed for these, they're put into the kernel. So perhaps uh, a, an updated version of Ubuntu Mate or maybe just installing an updated kernel can, can get you what you're looking for, but there's no guarantee there, especially when you're talking about these kinds of video drivers that are typically proprietary. Um, and, you know, manufacturers of proprietary devices like these um, GPUs won't provide specs or details of how their own drivers are developed because they want to keep their technology secret, uh, hence the term proprietary. Uh, sometimes, though, they'll provide Linux-compatible drivers themselves, and you'll want to go on to the GPU developer's website to see if they have one. Typically, they don't. 
which means that now the Linux community must go and try to develop an open source driver. And because their workings, inner workings of the drive, their driver for Windows is proprietary and secret, we have to reverse engineer these kinds of things. Uh, and if it is available, either as an open source driver, it's going to be uh, probably in the kernel at that point, uh, or perhaps a proprietary driver is something that we've got permission to distribute with the distribution, doesn't sound so in this case, then it might be available in the uh, additional drivers tab of the software update. And in Ubuntu Mate that you said you're using, you go to the software and update utility by going to the system menu, then administration, and then additional drivers. And usually Ubuntu Mate makes the best choice for you based on what's in your computer. But when you're on that additional drivers tab, you might want to check and see if there is a driver that you could try. The, the key thing is don't simply search for drivers uh, for your GPU using something like drivers.com or other third-party sites like that. There's no guarantee that you aren't going to get something with malware that will corrupt your system. Uh, and if you're unsure or you simply can't find it, maybe you're better off just continuing to use the lower performance that's provided for your computer uh, as you've got it running right now. Um, you don't want to screw up your system with something, especially that's going to give you some sort of malware compromise to your system. Um, that's that's my suggestion, and hopefully that, uh, that helps you, Craig, or somebody else. Okay. All right. Okay, our last uh, emails are gone Linux story, and I'm going to take the first part, and Larry's going to take the second part because it's a little bit long. So Craig from Canada wrote, Hi, Larry and Bill. I have been running Linux off and on since the late 90s. My first Linux was an early version of Red Hat Linux. Over the years, I have revisited Linux off and on in hopes that I could go off of Windows permanently. Alas, as the years went on, I didn't think I would ever make the switch and that Linux would remain simply a curiosity for me and never my main system. At some point during that time, a friend had me dual boot between Windows and Debian. Hard to remember back that far, but it was possibly version 2. Anyways... Fast forward to February 2017, my interest in Linux was engaged again. I had bought a new Acer laptop about a year before that and an AMD A10 processor. I ran Windows on it for about a year. I backed up my Windows system just in case using Clonezilla and proceeded to attempt to load stock Ubuntu 16.04. For reasons I think I will be able to explain later, it would freeze and have problems loading. I got frustrated with it, so I gave up on stock Ubuntu. I believe I was on kernel 4.8. I then gave Debian 8.6 a try with, with kernel 3.14 or 3.16. Everything worked except my Atheros wireless card. 
I found instructions for backporting the drivers for it and proceeded to get that working as well. I didn't have any problems other than that and so ran the system for a while. However, it did bug me that all my apps were, all, were so old. So again, I went searching and found Ubuntu Mate 16.04 and I honestly didn't think it would work due to my earlier experience with stock Ubuntu 16.04. I was pleasantly surprised that it did work. The only issue I experienced was that my screen would flicker when the machine was in the process of switching to the screensaver and eventually shutting down the screen. This must have been fixed by a later kernel version as it quit doing the same uh, months later. Mate came with kernel 4.4 which surprised me as stock Ubuntu had a higher kernel version. So, continuing on, since Ubuntu Mate 16.04 was up and running so well, I was ready to try something else. So I loaded up Ubuntu Mate 17.04. Right away I had the same problems that I experienced in Ubuntu 16.04. This time I sought help on the Ubuntu forums. After some troubleshooting, we determined that there seemed to be a problem with IOMMU between Linux and my AMD A10 processor. I can provide the links to all these bug reports if you think it can help someone else. Being that this email has been so long, I will end up by saying that a kernel patch was produced by AMD and will finally be included in the 14.13 kernel being shipped with Ubuntu 17.10. I will definitely be loading this after October 19th, as I really want to be cutting edge. I have been listening to your show for most of this year, and I really appreciate your jokes and your wisdom in running Linux, Larry and Bill. Thanks so much for the podcast. Also, I have been back to running Ubuntu Mate 16.04 until the AMD problems were ironed out in a later kernel version. This is partly in response to Ken from episode 310 and his AMD comments. Sincerely, Craig from Canada. Wow, uh, long email, great story. Thanks, Craig, for providing us with all of that information. That's uh, yeah. very helpful and a great story. Yeah, that's a great story. I'm glad it's working for you. And let us know how the new version of Mate works for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that wraps up our episode. Uh, our next episode will be, I'm not going to say something we're going to figure <laughs> out before we record it. It is going to be on Snaps, App Image, Flatpak. What's the difference and why should I care? It's probably not going to be the name of the episode, but that's the but subject. I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's too long to fit on a phone screen. <laughs> oh, Snaps. Okay. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73.
Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.